0: The Data Driven Podcast and I Hear Everything Production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data driven decision making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Welcome to the Data Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into how to extract more value from your data, helping professionals transform complex data into compelling narratives that drive clear business direction. I'm your co-host and the co-founder of StoryIQ, Dominic Bohan. And today we're going to discuss the impacts of automation on data storytelling. Joining us today is Marinal Dariani, who is an enterprise account executive at Salesforce, which is the customer-focused company making cloud-based software designed to help businesses connect to their customers in a whole new way so they can find more prospects, close more deals, and wow customers with amazing service. Today, Marinal and I are going to discuss why data storytelling is safe from automation. Okay, here's my conversation with Myrnal Dariani, Enterprise Account Executive at Salesforce. Myrnal, thanks for joining us today. So kind of a bold claim that data storytelling is safe from automation. Before we get into that claim, can you give our listeners a definition of what is data storytelling?
1: Sure, Dominic, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the working definition for today. Data storytelling is the presenter, the storyteller, taking data, choosing it, analyzing it, preparing it for and presenting it to an audience, right? And that audience could be internal. It could be to their, their decision makers. It could be external, wider audience, public, what have you, right? But really the process of using data to make a point. I think that's a good working definition for this.
0: Great. So it's using it to make a point and to influence people, right? And so this is the human side that that seems to be almost fundamentally entangled with data storytelling.
1: Yes, that's yeah. And I think that this process, I mean, the various steps in the storytelling process, it can be safe from automation, actually.
0: Okay, so let's get into that claim. Why is it safe from automation?
1: So before we dive into it, my little bit of my consulting background tells me that I need to give you a disclaimer, right? The disclaimer is I'm not speaking uh, with the knowledge of the cutting edge of where technology is today. You and I and everybody else listening to this we're all learning right at the same time all the new use cases applications that are coming out but understanding how human beings take information choose to receive it and then make decisions from it when you understand that you realize that there is a lot that requires a human in the loop right it requires a lot of different things like um, how it's being communicated creativity that's involved all of these are things that i still don't yet see it's a process that can be automated
0: okay Maybe we can drill into some of the examples, uh, some of the subsets or components of the data storytelling process that would be extremely hard to automate. And perhaps a familiar example would be a tool like ChatGPT, right? Everyone's heard of it. Probably at this point, everyone's played around with it. Could you give us some examples of things where ChatGPT, no matter how well you prompt it or what tricks you use, is simply not going to cut it for creating a great data story that's gonna influence, let's say, a senior decision maker to do something important?
1: So let's do one thing, right? Let's use ChatGBT and how it can be applied like a minute in. But first, let me share with you, let's talk about the steps in the storytelling process. First, you need to know who the audience is, right? Which people actually think about that later in the process, but I would actually say, bring it forward. Know your audience, know what the decision is for, right? Get that context clarified first. So that's step number one, understanding the context. Step number two, finding the data set, number three, cleaning it, number four, analyzing it, and number five, presenting it, right? So context, find the data, prep it, analyze it, and present it, right? So if I think about these five steps in the process, it's, you know, leading with step number one actually has the most incremental impact of the success of the entire data story, right? Because if you know who the audience is, and if you know what they actually care about, and what the context of why you're actually presenting that story that has the most marginal benefit to, you know, the strength of your story. What I mean by if you were to improve any one of these five, it would actually be the first, right? If you were to double down your your focus. So if we just take this, just the fact that there's five, step number one has the most marginal impact. I'd ask you, right? Like, how do we ask ChatGPT that Dominic Bohan is my boss? <laughs> uh, I have a meeting with him on Friday at 3 p.m. And this is the context. There's no way that's 100% organization, human-specific, right?
0: Yeah, I'd love to think I've made it into OpenAI's training data set, but realistically, doesn't know who I am. There's no way it's going to understand that context. So I've, I've had a discussion with some people internally at StoryIQ about this, and it's like, okay, potentially you could train your own model, or there's all sorts of tools where you can upload PDFs or vector databases to give it more context. And it's like, that's that's great, fine. But how do you get that context? How do you get that understanding of who your audience is, unless they're a famous person? As far as I can see, there's no way to automate that.
1: So let us let me jump into this for a minute, right? 100% agree with you because, again, we're talking about public platform like ChatGPT, right? But if we make it private, yeah, maybe there's maybe there's something there, but you'd still have to codify the context, right? And the codification of the context is difficult because, again, Let's take a personal example for anybody listening on the call. How would you describe your boss and what they care about? Assume that you're trying to tell a data story for them, right? Like, you can't summarize that. How would you codify it? But if I take a more personal example, so I'm in sales. That's my current role right now. Prior to the advent of ChatGPT, December 2022, there's actually a lot of very interesting technologies already available out there, right? And there are some that will scour the internet for all the public facing presentations content about a particular decision maker for example i'm keen to get into the minds of the cio of a of a public company and identify using for example the five the big five personality traits in psychology right like use that to categorize this person use their their tone in written form on their linkedin posts and any other public posts to identify how they like to communicate right and I've tried these tools as a way of codifying, simplifying, understanding the context of decision-maker. I can tell you from a sales perspective, at least from first-hand experience, it's not enough, right? You can't form a picture of a person from, at least from whatever they published online, right? So how would you do that in, this, in the example that you've given?
0: In which example?
1: The example of, you know, let's say you, had, you could codify the context, right, of the decision-maker, right? So, Just even with public facing information right now, even with tools already available, I haven't found it successful in helping me as a salesperson approach a decision maker with understanding of their context, them as a person.
0: Which tools have you tried?
1: So I'm forgetting the names now because this was over a year ago and it was in the age of rapid experimentation, peak COVID, right? Lots of all selling was virtual. So I tried a number of tools. I'll have to pull them up and get back to you.
0: Sure. Uh, So I've seen a few of these tools myself and it seems like in the sales process at least there's some potential to automate things like doing cold emails and outreach based on information about people online. So you could scrape their LinkedIn profile, send them a targeted message saying, hey, I know you work in the publishing industry, let's say, would you be interested in these services? I get these kind of cold messages all the time. I don't think they're very good, but they could uh, at least be automated. But I think what you're saying is, if you've got a complex, high-value sale, this sort of rudimentary, cursory, if you like, analysis of simple information that's publicly available is not going to be anywhere near the level of complexity to summarize all of the nuanced reasoning and even uh, emotive concerns and... uh, and personality traits of a stakeholder, it simply simply wouldn't be possible. Is that the crux of it? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly <laughs> it. That sounds right to me. So drilling down into this example a little bit further, because I think this is a real high watermark for AI or any tools to reach. Could they automate a conversation on a high value sales, like you selling enterprise level solutions for software, talking to senior decision makers, potentially big contracts, could AI ever fill that role? And what do you think is there potential in the future for AI to do more and more of that complex, high-value work of understanding human beings?
1: So I think everyone, when asked if your role can be automated, answers that with an existential threat, right? Uh, They like to think that they add a significant amount of value to the process, that they're unique, right? I like to think the same way (laughs) because I'm human after all. But I have to say that, yes, there are many steps in that process that can be automated, right? Any content that can be generated, for example, emails can be automated. It can be personalized. It can be contextualized. But I think when we think about, at least in this example of enterprise sales, right, it is not a one-person decision, never is. It is a usually, typically long process. Typically, there are personal motivations and ambitions involved even though organizations might not like to think that is. But ultimately, those are catalysts for change, especially the larger the organization or in certain industries, the more risk-averse that they could be, right? So if you really want to think about the big contracts, the big deals, the big acquisitions, right? They do involve a few things that, at least from what I can see right now, do require a person to stand in front, right? To shepherd that, to navigate it, to read in the moment, how best to communicate it, how often, how not to, right? All of these things I personally think are things that should remain human for it to work. But I have to also check myself and just think, is this a personal bias that I'm plugging in, right? Which, yeah, I mean, I have a blind spot there as well, right? (laughs) Which I might not know, Dominic. Uh,
0: That's entirely possible. So I want to come back to your framework here of five steps for data storytelling, which I really like. Or you could almost think of it as five steps for getting to good business decision making. So number one, understand your audience, get the data, prep, clean, exploratory analysis of the data. Number four, analyze the data, and then number five, present it. And I think you touched on a theory, uh, certainly one that I'm kind of passionate about, is that people focus way too much on the data steps in the middle and not enough on the understanding the audience and the presenting the data, kind of the first and last mile. So uh, can you tell us a bit more about the understanding the audience step? I I think this is a critical step. I think people could, uh, and I would like to learn a lot more about how to do this really, really well. And then I think from there, we can come back to where automation might fit in and why certain components of it perhaps will never be automated.
1: Yeah, I hear you. So I think there's only two things that I, I found effective ways or practical tips in getting from good to great in step number one, right? So if you want to get from good to great in step number one, understanding your audience, I'd actually recommend two practical tips. Number one, keep in the back of your head that what you're presenting is a subset of what they care about. Right. I'll explain that in a minute. And the second one is ask the question why three times. So what do I mean by what you're presenting as a subset of what they care about? In your role, you're the data storyteller, right? You might be a business analyst, data analyst, you might be a mid-manager, you might be an individual contributor, whatever it is, whatever role you're taking, right? The fact that you're preparing the data does mean that you're presenting it upwards, right? And so understanding that the time that you invest in that process, the data, the analysis, how it impacts you, because you're one step lower in the organization, it is almost natural to think that it is only a subset of what that person cares about in the grand scheme of things. Why that's important is because I've actually seen and coached a number of different analysts in the past who wanted to reflect on why their data story wasn't successful. And it's because they focus too much on, what they spent the most time on, right? So they thought it was proportional. The amount of time they spend on X in the process should be what the amount of time that they spend in presenting it, right? But actually, no, you have to really think about what does the other person care about? So that's from an analyst perspective, but even in sales, right? You could be spending weeks on a particular process of the sale, a particular feature a particular pain point that you're working with, with your champion, the buyer. But as soon as you have to present this upwards, you have to think about it from a flesh slate, thinking that what do they care about? Do they care this much about this problem that we're solving one step lower, right? And I've personally been in that. I've fallen into that trap before where I've spent months working and fine-tuning one problem-solution problem solution presentation. Uh, But then as soon as you go two, three levels higher, you realize that actually it's a very small subset of what the organization, what that person cares about. So that's the first practical tip, right? Really understand what they care about and take devil's advocate to yourself and think about the fact that what you're preparing might only be a subset of what they care about. The second one is ask why three times. So assume that you have figured out what they care about so you have a story, you have a rough idea of the hypothesis, you kind of know where you're going. Ask why three times. So when you ask why the first time, you are guaranteed going to give something that you've prepared and you know really well, right? And that might be the solution you're selling. Yeah, yeah.
0: Can I just clarify, ask why in relation to what exactly?
1: Yeah, so ask why in relation to the, the, maybe the recommendation of the story or the, the insight, right? Like the context. So any one of those three, but whether it's the purpose of that meeting, the purpose of that data storytelling project or the recommendation that you're making.
0: So let's say let's say you've got a, a meeting with a stakeholder is ask why kind of like why am I having this meeting in the first place? Why are we doing this at all? Is it getting to the fundamental purpose for the analysis or whatever we've been asked to look at?
1: Exactly. so get into the get into the why for the meeting, right and then let's say let's take an example here. Uh, They want a presentation for the historical performance for your ad spending in the last one year in Thailand. Okay, great. That's the context. That's the why. Ask again, why? Why does it matter? Why do they care about ad spending in Thailand for the last one year, right? Then you think about the broader context of the business because Thailand, relative to the rest of Southeast Asia, isn't performing that great. They've been over budget. General business context without going to the weeds, ask why one more time saying, what do they want to do with this data, right? And that's when you start to realize how to make that data story more impactful. Because if you just start at the, if you just leave it at the first level of why, you're going to spin your wheels. You're going to come up and look for all kinds of data, right? And it may or may not be the most relevant uh, that the audience cares about.
0: Okay, this is great. So two things I'm taking away from this, and I can see myself applying this. So it almost feels like what you're asking people to do is just remind themselves to do some basic things because I think we both agree it's so common for people, even people experience working with data like ourselves, to forget these and get lost in the weeds. And we see this so often. I do this myself. I just get so excited by the analysis that I've done and I want to talk about it and all of the details. And I'm not remembering your first tip, which is remember that it's just a subset of what your audience cares about. they have got so much going on. And then I like this ask why three times um, and drill deeper every single time. Don't just get a cursory answer and then back to analysis, number crunching, uh, keep asking that question over and over again.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you know why I say this is because, let's think about people who care about this topic. They do care about data, right? Your livelihood might have data as a big part of it already or you intend it to be. But that's the challenge, right? We get so excited by playing with it, getting into the weeds that we forget that it's ultimately a means to an end, right? So understand the end right at the beginning and you'll save yourself a lot of time later on.
0: Okay, great tip. So I think that's really useful on this critical step of understanding your audience. And I can see so many reasons why that would be hard to automate because it's all about human beings, which may surprise some people listening to this podcast. It's a data podcast. And we're spending so much focus on this, this critical step. So I think there's a role for data storytellers for a long time to come on this first step. Let's talk a little bit about steps two, three, and four. Finding data, cleaning and preparing it, and analyzing it. Is there more of an opportunity for data storytellers and data analysts to leverage AI and automation in these steps?
1: Yeah, So definitely steps three and four, prepping and analyzing. I've already been seeing some examples online of those being automated really, really well, right? Of course, when we say automation, you might think of straight through automation, meaning you don't do anything in that process. More likely, we're gonna start with something significantly improving productivity. For example, really speeding up exploratory data analysis and focusing on outliers. You can do all that actually quite easily with, with different tools. But I actually think finding the right data, step number two, that is actually one that's a little bit, you know, I'll share a little bit more about my background why, but I really do find that finding the right data within the organization to tell your story might actually be more complicated than we think and might actually be might actually require a human, at least in the foreseeable future, with that moat, right? But yeah, I think step two is still a little bit more safe relative to steps three and four, actually. Those can be repeatable.
0: Yes, great. let's drill into step two. So where could there be potential to use automation and why perhaps is uh, step two is more complicated than in most organizations that I've seen than like oh I need this data here's where it is in my data lake this is this is easy just type a request into copilot and it comes up. Why is it perhaps not that straightforward?
1: well because, and I'm, I'm a bit guilty of this myself because I work and in, in this data space. But I think the reason for that is because, and this is now purely anecdotal, but li- living and working in the data industry for a few years, it's very rare for me to find an organization of significant scale and complexity that has placed all their data into a single location, added the necessary governance that you can feel confident from both IT, business, and leadership that everyone gets what they want. It is accessible enough for business users to find. And it is regularly updated enough that decisions that do require, for example, speed, that ones that would require, for example, a data storyteller to prepare, these data is being updated into that source system uh, or sorry, centralized system as frequently as possible. So any one organization that, that, that checks all these boxes, I have yet to actually see a really good example, at least from my own experience, right? Supporting this Southeast Asia region. Now, why I say that is because there are, I mean, one way to validate this anecdotal point that I've just made is just think about the size of the data industry today, right? Just think about the fact that there are competing players in storage of data, lake house architectures, the governance and cataloging space is also equally still growing and thriving and still competitive, right? There still aren't any clear winners, and the largest or enterprise organizations are still purchasing and still working with many of these different data vendors, right? So that's just one way to quickly validate that nobody has solved this yet, at least to the extent of having 90% of all business decisions done based on a centralized, trusted, and securely governed data, data lake house. So with that context, does that, I mean, does it help? I wish I could see it. I'd love to see it, frankly. Uh,
0: Perhaps someday we'll get there. But uh, yeah, and the bigger the organization, the less probable it is that we're even close to that. (laughs) So again, very convincing that especially steps one and two, understanding your audience and then gathering data, that automation is a long way from completely replacing those steps and eliminating the role of an experienced analyst or data storyteller. Now, you've acknowledged that in the subsequent steps, cleaning and preparing data, analyzing data. I've seen in visualizing data, there is more scope to start automating, but we're nowhere near the stage of uh, completely automating and taking the human out of the loop in those steps. But I think we could agree automation is having an impact. So if people want to future-proof their careers, they work with data either directly like data analysts, or now almost every business professional at least touches data, what can people do to future-proof their CVs? As automation does encroach on certain steps in the process,
1: I think domain expertise would be the first thing I'd recommend knowing a space, a subset of the industry, a sub department really well matters, right because at the end of the day you can you can create as many tools as and they will be created actually, right like SaaS the SaaS industry will try to pick apart everything that has market potential for automation, right? It, the funding and the impetus is there, right? But if you know a domain really, really well, at least from what, I can, what I've seen in my own experience, domain expertise is still something that is highly valued, right, in an organization. So as, just as an example, if you have spent a lot of years in the insurance space, in the life insurance space, right? You understand the day-to-day problems. You can move from an insurance company into a tech company and actually do really well because you bring that level of knowledge about that industry to that company, right? I think the second one for how you can future-proof your CV is really soft skills and to be specific, communication skills, right? It's more and more obvious to all of us that, first of all, we already live in an age of misinformation, but that's only ever going to increase with content being able to be freely created without a human either being part of that process right so if you're a decision maker how do you know what to trust i think the being able to communicate and when i say communicate i mean tell a story that actually lands and that people remember right is something that is a skill that i've seen very few people actually do really well right and Frankly speaking, I've also seen, as a counterexample, people who have this skill, who are really strong communicators, but frankly and objectively from other people, these people, these individuals don't actually have very strong domain knowledge or even too much to back up what they're saying, actually do really, really well, right? Uh, Because they're able to persuade and move people towards a decision, right? You know, I'm sure you've seen examples of that too, Dominic, in, in your own experience, but Communication skills would probably be where I would invest if I want to future-proof my CV. Take classes: public speaking, coaching, persuasion classes, uh, negotiation classes. Right? These are these are available, and you know, there's a there's a lot of it has actually been studied really well.
0: Communication, presenting classes—the very things we offer at Story IQ. Amazing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't agree with you more. But I am pretty biased. Have a bit of a vested interest here. But I genuinely do think. Coming back to the topic of today's podcast, these are some of the hardest things to automate. These will be some of the last things that are ever automated if things go in the direction of uh, AGI, for example. So is there anything else that you wanted to share with us on the topic of why data storytelling is safe from automation?
1: I think we'll put it this way, right? I wanna add another reason, a scientific reason for why that storytelling, that skill set, is actually becoming more important, right? There is a there is a professor and whose study that I've always kind of referred to. His name is Antonio Damasio. He is a professor of neuroscience, if I remember correctly. And he had a patient who actually had an iron rod go through a portion of the front of their brain. Right? It was a it was an accident. I think it was a construction related accident. Now, this professor he spent a lot of time interviewing this patient, studying this patient, and he realized that. His reasoning in many parts of his cognitive processing actually remained intact, but his ability to express or feel emotions was something that was impaired. Now, what makes this story interesting and why I bring it up here is because Professor Damasio, through his experience with this patient, realized that emotions have a significant impact in decision-making, right? Which sounds counterintuitive. But what he realized is because he saw that this patient Again, no impairment to their rational processing, right? You could ask this person, where do you want to go for dinner? And they could drop a very strong pros and cons list for option A and option B. There is a long queue over here. So obviously it is, you know, it's a very highly rated restaurant, but then we'll take longer to get a seat. And so we shouldn't consider that. So you could draw a long list of pros and cons, but this patient could not make a decision, i.e. put their finger down on A or B and say that these pros outweigh these cons. So this was a marker for Professor Damasio to actually spend more time researching this and realizing that while your synapses in your brain can hold facts and rational items, like a pros and cons list, emotions actually create that lift that decide the strength between synapses, or in other words, what you'd attribute more personal value to, and then help you make a decision, right? So I say this because data... In just jump a few years or even think about your organization today. Data is ubiquitous. There is no question about like finding the data is not about I have a hard time. You know, the data doesn't exist. It does exist. It's just a question of where to find it, how to clean it, et cetera. But data does exist. It's more of a question of choosing the right data. And when communicating it, making sure that it emotionally resonates or the way that, or the, your recommendation emotionally resonates with the audience such that they feel the need that this data set, this recommendation actually does match my own personal ambition, my own personal goal, my objective for this meeting, this Friday 3 p.m. meeting, and therefore I want to make a decision, right? I feel like when we talk about presenting the storytelling, I can't, I would be remiss to not mention the impact that emotions have on actual decision-making.
0: Thanks, Grinnell. I think that's uh, something that yeah, we could all do with uh, being reminded of. And a fascinating example there with uh, Antonio Damasio. Okay, a great note to end on there because it is something that is often neglected. Okay, so that wraps up this episode of the Data Driven Podcast. Thanks to Mrenal Dariani, Enterprise Account Executive at Salesforce for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Renal and I are going to discuss how psychology consulting, and sales relates to data storytelling. If you can't wait till our next episode and would like to learn more about Mrinal, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit his company website, salesforce.com. Just one link in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to datadrivenpod.com, where we have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And if you want to share your most compelling narratives with our audience of data storytellers, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the Data Driven Podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is StoryIQ on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly, my handle at Twitter is at Bohan Dominic. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of data-driven brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. Hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay, that's all for today, but until next time, remember that when it comes to presenting data, less is more.